Hello? You know, you've been on your sister's case a lot lately. What's going on with you? Well, if she wasn't so dumb, then I wouldn't need to. Excuse me? I don't know where you've come up with that attitude, <laughs> but if you don't straighten out, you're going to have a lot less free time and a lot more chores to do. Whatever. You can whatever yourself right up to your bedroom, <laughs> and you can forget about that birthday party tonight. You're going with your sisters to your grandma's house tonight. Are you okay, honey? You know, she doesn't mean it. She just, she's just being her. But, you know, she's gonna learn or she's gonna stay grounded until she learns. Mommy, am I ugly? No, is that what she was telling you? No, but there's a kid at school that keeps calling me ugly in front of everybody. Everyone laughs. Uh, I don't know why kids are so mean. I'm so sorry. So what ended up happening? Did you tell the teacher? I didn't have to. She heard. The kid got sent home. But everyone laughed. I was so mad. I'm so sorry that happened to you. So, what did you end up doing? I counted to three, just like you and Dad taught me. But whenever I thought about it, I was still mad. You know, you're probably going to be mad for a while, but you listen to me. You are my beautiful princess, okay? And I love you. Never worry about what anybody says. Understand? Yeah. Good. Oh, and... Don't forget, you guys are going to Grandma's house tonight because Daddy and I have a meeting. Yes. Okay, so make sure, go upstairs, get washed up, and get ready for me, okay? Thank you, guys. Jackpot. Why aren't they calling back? I don't know. I, I don't understand. We missed the call, we call back two minutes later, and it's now it's like the doctor has left the planet. Honey, don't you think that I'm nervous to get this call too? Okay, they will call when they call. Do it as soon as possible. I'm free, uh, I'm free. 
Why? Why God do this to us with everything we have going on? Sorry, you guys. Now I have to preach after that. <clears throat> the point of these videos that we're doing each week is we're exploring a different emotion as we go through the shadowlands and we journey through the dark places of life, the places of suffering. And we've recognized that there are common emotions no matter what kind of suffering you're going through. And we kind of want to get you in the headspace of those emotions. So these are going to be some sad videos, and I apologize ahead of time, but they're meant to get us to begin to think like what it feels like in those moments if we're not going through those moments right now, so that when we begin to process it together as we look at the scriptures, we can think through the moments in our lives where we've felt those emotions in the midst of suffering. As we've been going through this series in the Shadowlands, we've already looked at the story of Job, and we saw that in his story, one of the emotions we can immediately see is confusion or fear that kind of comes out. That as we begin to have the world crumble around us and all the things that we held and took for granted and that we were sure were going to remain or stay, that as we thought that those things were, were secure in our lives and they began to dissolve or crumble around us, we lose our sense of security, we lose our sense of sureness about the world, and we begin to to become scared and, and confused about the world around us. It's just a common emotion, a common thing. And so we looked at that emotion. We looked at what we're supposed to do and how we should bring that confusion, bring that fear to God and not allow it to turn us away from God, but instead just bring it straight to him and let him answer us. And sometimes he's going to give us answers that we're not particularly going to like. Sometimes we're going to get that phone call that we don't want to get. And we're going to end up suffering through something that's going to be longer than what we thought before. Last week, we looked a little bit about how scars can build up in our suffering. But this week, we want to look specifically at anger. And I think that anger is something that we all can say that we have experienced in the midst of suffering at one time or another. Because I think that anger is common in suffering. Now... Some of you may be thinking, I've never been angry when I've suffered before, but I would say this, have you ever stubbed your toe on a table in the middle of the night? Yes. What's the first thing to come out of your mouth? You want to hear a pastor curse? Come to my house and wait in the dark. Wait for me to stub my toe on that, that suitcase that's been sitting in our hallway for like four weeks and no one seems to be willing to clean up. And when I stub my toe on it again, the first thing to come out of my mouth is anger, is frustration, right? And so anger is something I think that is elicited from suffering as that world begins to crumble around us and as we begin to suffer and go fall into the dark times, it's so easy for us to feel that emotion of anger. And I don't think that we should be ashamed of that. I don't think that we should think that we're alone in that. We should all look at each other right now and recognize that anger is a common emotion that is related to times of suffering. Go ahead, look at your neighbor and say, I've been angry in dark times in my life. And we see it in scripture all over the place. We see it in scripture all over the place. And in our story today, Mary, I think, is a perfect example of the kind of emotion that comes up in anger. Look at Mary's reaction 
right? Her brother has died. And we know that Mary is effusive in her love towards Jesus. And yet when they get word that Jesus is on his way, that he's close by, he's just outside the town, what does Mary do? Jump up and get excited and go and see him? No. She stays. It's Martha who goes. Mary stays. Now, maybe I'm reading into that. Maybe I'm reading into it a bit, but from Mary's character elsewhere, I think that we can easily say that what keeps Mary there is that she's angry at Jesus, right? They sent Jesus notice that Lazarus was sick and that he was going to die, and Jesus could have gotten there on time, but he didn't. He didn't come, and they knew that he didn't come because he didn't show up, and so she's angry. She knows that he could have done that. She's seen miraculous things out of this man. And yet he didn't show up in her time of need. And so she's angry at him. And she's not going to go and see him and greet him and act like everything's okay. No, let Martha go greet him. I'm going to sit right here. We even see it in her response when she finally does go, right? When Mary does finally go, when Martha comes back and says, the teacher is asking for you. And that elicits her to jump up and to go and to rush to him. Does she come and, and, and say anything kind to Jesus? No, she says, where were you? If you were here, my brother wouldn't have died. Right? Immediate accusations. Immediate accusations that she knows that, that he could have done something, he didn't do it, and so why weren't you here? A little bit different than Martha's response, which we'll look at in the next point. It is so easy for us to get angry. And I think that anger is a kind of way of a seizing control back in our lives, right? How many of you, when you're driving, what do you do when you're angry? Your knuckles turn white, right? You clench that steering wheel harder. Why? Because you're, you know you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have to have some kind of control. Here. You're going to zip around that person, right? And you're clenching after that control that you feel like you've lost or that other person's stolen from you on the road. And so anger wells up in us and I think that it's a way of us psychologically feeling like there's something we can do about what's going on around us that's making us feel pain. When we get angry, we feel like we're justified. We feel like we're now in control, that we can point fingers at somebody else or something else that is causing us our pain and that we can fight back against that thing, right? It's an assertion of our control. So the second thing I think that we really need to think about as we experience anger in the midst of our suffering is that the solution to our anger is surrender. Surrender is the solution to our anger. Now that doesn't seem to make sense, right? It doesn't seem to make sense that surrendering would be what we should do in the midst of our anger and yet it's the very model that we see here because when Martha reacts, Martha goes to Jesus, right? Martha goes to Jesus, and we see anger in Martha, right? Because what does Martha say? Jesus, if you were here, you could have healed him. But what does she do immediately after that? Does she just make that accusation at Jesus and leave it there? No. Look back at the story. Martha says, but I know that you can do anything. If it's your will, you can do anything. She surrenders it to him, trusts him, 
trust that he could raise Lazarus up or he could leave Lazarus dead, that he could have saved him, he could have left him. Whatever Jesus' will was, she's trusting in the moment that it was good. And so she's surrendering her own emotions. She's surrendering her own control, her own feelings. And she's saying, Jesus, whatever you want, I'm here for that. So Martha's reaction is anger, but it's not anger that leads her to turn away from Jesus, to reject Jesus, or to ignore Jesus, but it's anger that she brings directly to Jesus' doorstep. And she tells him, whatever you want, I'll do. And then he challenges her, and he, he says, do you really believe in me? And she says, yeah, I believe in you. I know you're the Messiah. I know you're the one coming into the world, the one whom God has sent to save all of us. She surrenders herself before him. When I was 19, I got the news that one of my best friend's daughters had been hit by a car and had been killed. She was 18 months old. He had been stationed in Japan at the start of the war in Afghanistan, and he was frozen there. He was there for nine months. That means that he missed half of her life. I remember him calling me and asking me, Chris, would you do her funeral? Would you do her memorial service? I remember sitting with him just after he got off the military planes and him telling me that for the last 20 hours in transit, no one would look him in the face. No one would talk to him because they all knew what he had been through and they didn't know what to say to him. And he felt like a ghost. He felt alone. A year later, I remember getting a phone call from my wife. She told me that her little brother had killed himself. I remember getting into the car and wanting to drive, but the people I was with, like, Chris, you're in no condition to drive. We'll drive. They drove over to her house, and I spent the night there with her family, doing whatever I could to minister to them and love them. I remember a year after that, I got a phone call from my parents saying that my grandmother was on her deathbed. They had found her, she had had an aneurysm, and that she was going to go. Went to the hospital and sat, spent the last few minutes with her before she passed away. Year after year after year in my college years, I experienced tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and it began to build up in my soul because I wasn't dealing with it, because I wasn't bringing it to God. And it wasn't until years later that I recognized how angry I was at God. I had built up this massive iceberg of anger below the surface that would eventually and occasionally show up in weird ways in my behavior in real life, but I wasn't dealing with everything that was underneath. I was burying it and pretending like it wasn't there, just trying to be the good Christian youth pastor, youth minister that I was supposed to be and not let everybody know how much I was suffering inside of my heart. Over time, I knew that God was beginning to peel back those layers in my heart and beginning to reveal to me how sick my soul was because I wasn't bringing that anger and that frustration to him. So eventually I had it out with God and I shook my fist at him and told him how angry I was. And to be honest with you guys, I don't even know that I fully have gotten over my anger with God many, many years later. 
That if I really were to think about it and delve, dive, dive deep into my heart, the times where I turn most away from God are the times where things aren't going the way I want them to in life. And I go right back into that little hole of self-pity and frustration and anger. And I begin to blame God for everything in my life. How many of you can somewhat relate to my story? Thank you for being honest. When we don't bring our anger to God, when we try and bury it and pretend like it's not there, it begins to damage us internally. We begin to miss the opportunities to find healing in God because we're building up anger and bitterness in our own hearts. The Psalms are full, full of angry words at God. If you've not ever read a psalm that was angry, then I don't know what you're doing. Go read through the psalms and you're going to come against a psalm. Every like fifth psalm, you're going to come across a psalm that's going to just be extremely angry. The psalmist is shaking his fist at God. Why weren't you there for me? Why won't you show up? You're blessing all my enemies and yet you keep cursing me. It's all over the psalms to bring our anger to him because it's when we bring our anger to him and then at the end of bringing our anger to him, we release it, we let it go and we surrender to him that he begins to heal our hearts. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you've been through a moment where if you're struggling with anger in your heart, if you've got this calcified rock around your heart because of your anger and your frustration at God over the consequences of things in your life or whatever it may be. Your first step, your first step to being healed, to being made whole in Jesus will be to bring that anger before him and let him have it. He can handle it, trust me. But then let him speak into your heart by surrendering all of those emotions to him and letting him share with you how he has suffered too. Because the amazing thing about Christianity versus all the other faiths is that the story of Christianity, the the story at the heart of our faith is that God knows our pain. God knows your pain. It's so easy to let the world tell us that in times of suffering that God has left your life. He's disappeared. This is a a famous little bit of graffiti that you could find in Detroit in a few different places. God has left Detroit. Many people probably felt that way over the years that Detroit has suffered, right? That God has left, he's abandoned us. And yet that's not the image, that's not the picture that we get in scriptures. Because in this story, in the story of Lazarus, they felt like Jesus had abandoned them and he didn't show up, but he shows up. He shows up. And Jesus, Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's not sitting there thinking that all is lost and hopeless. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet when he sees their pain... We get the shortest verse in the Bible, right? Jesus wept. He weeps with them. He knows their suffering. He knows their anger. He knows their frustration. He knows their pain. He knows their confusion. He knows their fear. He knows their sense of loss. And he feels it deeply and it moves him to tears. 
We don't serve a God who sits far up high on some altar that knows nothing of our human suffering. We serve a God who intentionally entered into our lives, became human and experienced all that we experience so that we would know that he hasn't abandoned us in our darkest times, but that he entered into them. And he became the darkest times so that he might bring us light in the end. Imagine the end of our passage today. Imagine the end of our passage when Lazarus comes out of that tomb. When he comes out of that tomb and he's bound in all the ceremonial bandages that they would wrap around the body and they would anoint with different perfumes so that the body wouldn't stink as it decayed. Imagine that. Imagine when he comes out and he's alive and Jesus' words, Jesus' words are what? Unbind him. Jesus has called you out of your death and has called you to new life. And in this table, in this table, he beckons you to his presence and he calls out to his angels and he says, unbind him, unbind her from that anger and that frustration and that sadness that you feel. So when we come to this table, when we come here to celebrate what God has done for us, bring your anger. Bring your anger. Tell God and let him unbind you from it so that you are no longer a slave to it, but you could be free in life to him. Let us pray. Lord, it's hard to imagine or feel your presence in the midst of darkness. When we walk through the shadowlands, we feel so alone. Lord, we pray that in the midst of the times where we suffer the most or even suffer the least, we feel anger and frustration that your spirit would guide us to bring those things to you. And as we pour out our heart and share with you all that we're frustrated with and all that we're angry angry about, Lord, we pray that we would hear your cry. Unbind them. And that you would unwrap our hearts from the callousness of anger and frustration and make us alive again in you. We pray, Lord, as we come to this meal, that you would give us new life, that you would fuel us to be your light and your hope to all those who are suffering around us in this world. Lord, make us as a church to be a shining city on a hill, to be a beautiful fragrance before the world, that they would see us, that they would smell us, and that they would want whatever it is that we have so that we could point to you and say, all we have is you. Lord, we pray this not so that 
our church may grow or that we may be made great, but we pray this surrendering to you in the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.